All right. If we can get to our seats, we'll get started here. Oh. It's good to be here. Probably have started Christmases, maybe, or or we'll be starting them today or tomorrow. Uh, we had one this weekend, and uh, I was reminded at our Christmas of something that I'm reminded every year, and that is the ridiculous nature of kids' toy packaging. You you need to have a knife in order to do Christmas anymore. A scissors probably isn't even strong enough anymore. I don't know, but you know they they apparently don't want anybody but uh, um, the professional uh, break in people, I guess, to be able to get them because they're like uh, Fort Knox if you try and open a package. Um, Anyway, this morning we are continuing our Advent, and as we come to this last one, um, I want to do something this morning. I want to, as we think about Christmas, as we think about Christ coming, I want to take some time to just spend some time unpacking, uh, taking out of that uh, hard shell of wrapping uh, the reality of what is your greatest gift that you can possibly have. Um, and we're going to look at it this morning from, from a perspective from Paul that isn't necessarily a Christmas, traditional Christmas text, um, but we want to look at this, and, I, and I'm, I was so glad I stumbled upon it this week as I was thinking about it. I had a different text that I was going to use, and I actually scrapped it when I saw this text because I thought it communicated something that was my heart and something, by the way, that the Lord just needed to speak to me. First and foremost, as a pastor, one of the greatest privileges in preparing a sermon is the Lord speaks to you first. And so uh, we're going to look at uh, a writing of Paul to his, uh, one of his mentors, mentorees, is that the right word? Uh, Titus. So if you would, open your copy of God's Word to Titus chapter 3. I'm actually going to read verses 1 through um, verse 8. So if you would, open your copy, stand with me as we read this. We're going to read Titus chapter 3, starting at verse 1. It says, Remind them to be submissive rulers, to, I'm sorry, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by this grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable 
for people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this reminder from the Apostle Paul. And Father, I pray that as we look at this season, we remind ourselves of the truth that the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared in the form of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we pray that You would open our eyes to see and our hearts to hear the truth of Your Word that we might leave here encouraged and exhorted to proclaim Your name. We thank You. We praise You in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please be seated. So we've mentioned that there are responses. So we talked the very first week, Emmanuel, God with us. He's here. He's come. And He made Himself known that, that incredible day that I'm sure was December 25th back in 0 B.C., A.D., whatever, I don't, what do you define zero? I mean, is it B.C., A.D.? Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, and we all know that it probably wasn't December 25th, and that doesn't, it's irrelevant, and I don't know why I'm getting sidetracked. Um, but He came, and we have a response to that. Response number one, we, we said, was to, uh, to be prepared. As Jesus said, He said, I'm going, and I will come back for you. So be prepared. Then, then we looked at the next aspect. Last week we, we saw it and it says uh, uh, He has come and so be present. Be, be active, participating now as we await. And, and today I want us to look at something that uh, the third response, which is proclaim. Our response to His coming is to proclaim Him and His second question, or, uh, coming. As I began thinking of this, I thought, okay, so we've spent three weeks talking, uh, this would be the third week, talking about our response. And it begs the question in my mind, why should I? Why should I? Why should I do any of these responses? This is just another obligation as a result of the free gift of God, right? That I am obligated to, to prepare and I'm obligated to present or be present and participate and now I'm obligated to participate in the free gift, right? As I look at this, I can be very tempted to think these are my obligations as a result of this quote-unquote free gift, which if they're obligations, it is no longer a free gift, is it? If I go and offer to my children a free gift at Christmas and say, but you have an obligation to me to always obey or I will not give you this free gift, it is no longer a free gift. And it's very important for us to remember this, that as we walk through Christmas, as we walk through the gift of Christmas and what it means, this morning I want to unpack, unwrap what is this gift so that you can see that this is not an obligation but it is an overflow of the heart as a result of understanding. And you will naturally proclaim. I almost didn't feel like getting up anymore after Terry and Vicky got up here because there was really very little need because they proclaimed the reality of what this gift is about. Transformation. But I want to walk through this text. We're going to walk through, we're going to specifically look at verses 4 through 8. And, and I want to talk, first of all, about a proposition that Paul lays out. It's a very logical, step-by-step -step proposition that Paul lays out for us in this incredible uh, a statement, first of all, that he makes. He says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appears, He saved us. Essentially, we have here the story of Christ coming, living, dying, 
for our sins and being raised from the dead. It is the gospel message that, that if you read verses one through three, it's not a pretty picture. This is what you were, and it kind of it all hinges at that turning point, that but. In verse 4 is a, train, a, 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 a transition. So you've got, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. It's not a pretty picture. And then it says, But the loving kindness and the goodness of God appeared. Is that not Jesus Christ? Amen. He appeared. He appeared, why? It says to save us. That's Advent. Jesus came. And it came, and what a clarification Paul makes is he just kind of lays out the gospel as a reminder to Titus. He says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of some feeble, miserable attempt that we had, but because of His loving kindness. He appeared. He saved us, not because of our works, but according to what? His mercy. His mercy. That's His rationale. Because of God in His great loving kindness and His goodness, He said, I will be merciful upon whom I desire to be merciful. And He says, I'll offer salvation. I'll come. I'll redeem. And He declares to us that it's done through a cleansing and a renewal by the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ Jesus justified and He closes the statement, the story of, of Advent and Jesus coming and living and dying for us. And He says, and therefore, because of all this, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. We need to hear this each and every year, especially at Christmas. All this made possible because of God's goodness and loving kindness and because God decided in the midst of our wickedness and awfulness and humanity, He said, I will come and enter into a lowly manger and offer my goodness and loving kindness and my mercy to redeem people. It's an incredible statement Paul makes. And then I want us to see, uh, it's starting at verse 8, some incredible uh, things that the Lord just kind of laid out. He says, in, through Paul, he says uh, two things. He's going to clarify some points about this statement. He says, number one, it is trustworthy. It's trustworthy. The Greek word there is pistos. It's, it's a worthy of faith and belief. It is something you can hold on to. That the statement of the truth that when, when uh, God's goodness and His loving kindness appeared, He saved us. This is something we can hold on to for belief and, and, and cling to. But He also says something else. Not only is it trustworthy, He says it is transcendent. It needs to be preeminent in our conversations and in our minds. A constant reminder. Look at what he says. He says, uh, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things. In other words, he says, I want you to strive to remind one another of these things. I want you to always be talking about it. I want you to always remind one another of the truth that in, in spite of the wickedness that was going on in the world, God said, my loving kindness and my goodness, I'm going to make an appearance and save people. I want you to always remember this. I want you to always remind one another of this. So he says it's trustworthy, it's transcendent. And, and then he goes on, he says, the next thing he says, there's a result of this. Look at the next word that says, so that. 
Okay? Whenever you see that, so that, or you see the phrase, therefore, or whatever, there's an important thing coming next. He says, so that. So he says, I want you to, uh, uh, to, to understand that this is trustworthy, and I want you to constantly be reminding of one another of this, so that, so that what? So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. The purpose of the reminder is so that His people would do good works. So that they would, those who would believe. So here's the logic. Here's what I want us to understand. Then we're going to jump into something here. He says, follow me on this train of thought. The logic or the progression of Paul is that, that God came, Advent, and He saved people, and He wants us to understand that this is worth believing, that it is truthful, that it is trustworthy, that we can hold on to it, and that we need to remind one another of it on a constant basis. Why? The constant reminders, here's the proposition, the constant reminders of the gift of Jesus leads God's people to do good works. The constant reminder of the gospel leads people to do good works. Not the constant reminder would encourage people. No, it says that they will do good works. That God's people, when they hear the truth of God's gospel, they are devoting, they will, therefore, it is a logical progression that Paul says. He says that when we remind ourselves of the gospel, it will lead me to do good works. There's a conclusion in all this that Paul says, and then we're going to jump into this last part. The conclusion is this. He says, these things are excellent and profitable for people. So why? That's the question. How does Paul come to this conclusion? You must understand that the entrance of Jesus in this Gospel is a direct proclamation for us. This is why it's so important that the gospel of Jesus coming into the world is an incredible proclamation. It was so incredible, angels declared it. Men and women longed to see its day because of the nature of its message. I want you to see this morning what His appearance means for us. Because when we understand it, the gospel truth of what we just walked through will become evident. That when we see the gospel that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, when we begin to, to understand what that means, what that declaration of Jesus coming means for us, it will naturally lead us to do good works. Why? Because it's a proclamation. It's a proclamation. God essentially uh, gives us three important truths that I think will radically change our life radically change the life of those who hear it, that the goodness and loving kindness of God appears, proclaims three things. Number one, it proclaims God's passion. It proclaims God's passion. What do I mean? He chose you. He chose you. You sitting here in this seat Listening, God chose you. Him coming means that He has passion for you. His coming was for His people and it was His only purpose for coming. His coming tells us that He loves you, He wants you, He chooses you. He wanted you from the beginning. We can find countless verses that talk about this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world were laid. 
And Jesus, in praying for His disciples and praying in the great priestly, high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, He turns to the Father in prayer and He says, I have manifested Your name to the people whom You gave Me out of the world. Yours they were and You gave them to Me. And they have kept Your word. And then He goes on later on in verse 20 of that same chapter. He says, I do not ask for these only, but those whom You will give Me. Jesus' coming means He came because He chose you. If you have heard the Gospel, if you have believed the Gospel truth, God has chosen you. 1 Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood. He wanted you from the beginning. He wanted you even after you were covered in sin. In spite, in fact, we, we just read in Titus chapter 3, that verse, verse 3, where it talks about all the things that we were and the, the, and the people that, 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 that did all kinds of wickedness and sin and covered in it. And in spite of that, God still said, I'm still coming. You look at the Old Testament, it's filled with an incredible dichotomy of God's love and judgment. It is incredible because over and over again, God's people forsake God. They, they, they prostitute themselves after uh, false gods. They, do, they break God's law. They, they do all kinds of things to forsake God. And over and over again, God says, I still love them. I still love them. I still love them. It is incredible. Some of the texts of the Old Testament, in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 20, this incredible outpouring of God's heart. He says, Ephraim, is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do still remember him. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 32, starting at verse 40, it says, I will make them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing good to them. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all of my heart and with all of my soul. Lamentations chapter 3, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though He cause grief, He will have compassion according to the abundance of His steadfast love. For He does not afflict from His heart or grieve the children of men. And in Romans chapter 5, we read that incredible verse, but God demonstrates His love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. He chooses you. That's what this coming means. It means He wanted you from the beginning. It means He wanted you even after you were covered in sin. It means He wants you so much that He was willing to come for you. When we celebrate Christmas and we unwrap the greatest Christmas gift we could ever understand or comprehend, it's that He chooses you and He is willing to come for you. When the Creator of the universe who can, is controlled by no man and does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, enters the world as a helpless baby in a most humble of settings for you. You need to believe he has passion for you. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And he says, I will come in the form of a helpless baby in a manger for you. Let that sink in. Because God's coming, His goodness and His loving kindness appearing as our Savior means He has passion. The third pro second proclamation is God's will. He died for you. 
Not just that he chose you, but he died for you. His coming was to die for his people. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world. Why? To save sinners. That was his purpose. That was his will. Not only is it just that it's his will, but he did it willingly. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't forced into doing anything. He did it willingly. John chapter 10, verse 18 says, No one, this is the words of Jesus speaking to the the Pharisees and to those who were making accusations. He says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. He did it willingly. He came on his own. He, He wasn't forced. Not only did he do it willingly, but he welcomed it. He welcomed it. We're told in Luke chapter 9 that as Jesus' time on earth was drawing closer to an end, it says that in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, he set his face like a flint to go into Jerusalem. He knew the task ahead. And he says, I welcome it, I embrace it, I go, because I'm going to die for my people. It's God's will. When he came, it declares that his will was this, that I am going to go and die for my people to save people from their sins. He, he was willingly able to do it. He welcomed it and he declared that it is worth it. God's sacrifice means that he considers you worth making it. For God so loved the world, what? He gave His one and only begotten Son. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says that I uh, uh, live, not I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me because He died and gave Himself for me because He loved me. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says that we have been saved because of His great love for us. That He was willing to do this. God coming means that He was willing and it means that His will was this, that He would die for you. Understand this, when the Almighty, omnipotent ruler of the universe makes plans to subject Himself to human frailty, a life of suffering and death on the cross for you. Did you hear that? That that the omnipotent ruler of the universe purposely makes plans to subject himself to human frailty, to live a life of suffering, and to die on a cross for you, you need to believe he has purpose for you. So oftentimes we come to this time of year, and it is a sad and it is a heavy time because we think of loved ones we have lost. We think of things and circumstances that make it difficult. Know this, brothers and sisters, That when Jesus entered into the world, God declared, I have passion for you. God declared, my will is to save you. But third, His coming declares God's value. He bought you with His blood. With His blood. It proclaims the value He has for you, the cost. Something is only ever worth what someone is willing to pay for it. I peddle puppies. That's what I've been told. 
I can discern what a puppy is worth. People always say, well, how do you figure out what the value of a pet is? What somebody's willing to pay for it. Because if I overprice it and nobody's willing to pay for it, it ain't worth that. I used to collect baseball cards. I got thousands of them, probably millions of them. What are they worth? Absolutely nothing because nobody wants to pay for them. What are you worth to God? His beloved son's blood. What an incredible thought. First Peter chapter 1, Peter declares, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, they're not worth it, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You're worth it. God says, I will not withhold anything in my purchase because this is what I value you as. That he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Romans 8, 32. Paul reminds the uh, the Ephesian elders that they ought to take care of the flock. He says that the, the church that you are entrusted with, you need to care for, you need to shepherd them. Why? Because they were purchased with the precious blood. It says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, as Paul's last uh, encouragement to these Ephesian elders, he says, care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. God's value for you. If you don't personalize it, it means little to nothing. You need to understand it's for you. It's for you that He came to choose you to, because He has chosen you because He was willing to die for you and His value for you was the cost of His blood and now He says, my value is I claim you as my sons and daughters. Because of this purchase, He claims you for His adoption as sons and daughters, not just as a possession that He can have. You're not just a slave that He can add to His harem of collection, but as sons and daughters. When Jesus came, He introduced a radical thought to the people. He said, when you pray, pray to your Father who is in heaven. Not just Jehovah who is distant and far off, but one who desires an intimate relationship as your father. One who desires, who has bought you with his precious blood. One that, that, that declares that, that you are my children. And we have this incredible, one of my favorite verses in all scriptures, 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And so now we are today. God's value of you? Romans 8, we have not received an adoption as slaves, but as children we have received a spirit that whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father, Papa. That we are adopted. And he goes on, he says, not just that you are sons and daughters, but that you are heirs with Christ. God's value of you, he doesn't just see mere uh, uh, slaves, but he sees sons and daughters that he will spare no expense for. Paul, in speaking to the Galatians, understood this. He says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. 
You realize that God's value was that He didn't just want to make you right again. He wanted to make you His sons and daughters. An incredible thing. So when we start thinking about this Advent, and when it is no wonder when Paul says, remind one another of this constantly, our heart naturally will overflow with incredible gratitude that God declares when He came, when He stepped forth into the earth in, in this form of a, of a baby, helpless, in a manger, in a, in a barn, in a, in a cave where there were animals. He said, this declares my passion for you. I want you. I choose you. This declares my will that what I'm willing to go through is a life of, of suffering and pain and a death on a cross so that I might die for you in place of you. And it declares, it screams out, this is my value of you, that I am willing to pour out my precious blood to purchase you and then make you my son and daughter. And as we unwrap things at Christmas, I hope our thoughts and our minds turn to that, that when the owner and the possessor of all things intentionally and premeditatively weighs the cost of his beloved son's own blood and declares it is worth it for you, you need to believe he has value for you. All three of these declare one thing. His love. when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, He saved us. It declares His love. His love for His people. God's actions in coming for us proclaims, I love you. When you see an image at Christmas of a baby in a manger, it is God's message of love to you. It is a declaration of that. So how do we take this and make it something that we can Leave from here with hope and encouragement that we might proclaim Him. I think a couple of things. Number one, we have the application that we must remind one another of this amazing gospel. When we come to a season in our life where we are discouraged, where our walk of faith is just dry, can't tell you how many times, especially this time of year, it's a busy season. As a pastor, uh, we've talked about it as staff, it's just a hard month. December's hard because there's expectations that you throw together a great Christmas season because it's the, one of the crowning jewels of the church, right? It's, it's just a hard time. It's, and, and when I say hard, I mean it's busy. There's always something to plan. There's always something to do. There's things to do. I can't tell you how many times this, this month where, where I've got uh, six things I'm trying to figure out how to accomplish before the end of the week. And thankfully, we have an office administrator who's very patient and waiting for my email to, to tell you what the sermon preview is going to be. And this is also a time where it's dark because it's, it's, you know, you wake up and the sky is still dark and you, you, you know, you're going to work when it's dark. It's just a hard season of life, right? I can't thank the Lord enough for this reminder. But when we are in darkness, when life and when faith is dry and discouraged, we need to remind one another of the amazing nature of this gospel. 
When you feel as though no one cares about your difficulties, remember His passion for you, that He chose you. When you are so discouraged and you feel like no one cares, woe is me. He does. He came for you. When you feel as though life is pointless and without any reason I'm doing the monotony of every day and it's over and over, it's the same thing. And then tomorrow i got to wake up and do the next thing and I feel like I've accomplished nothing. It's like that, that, uh, the story in Greek mythology of the, the man who was, who, who, who was cast into to, to Hades and his one job for all of eternity was to push a rock up to the top of the hill and every time he got to the top of the hill, the rock would roll back down and he'd have to do it all over again. For so many of us, that's life. We, we are pushing the rock to the top of the hill only to have it come back down to the bottom. And we say, what's the point? It's useless. It's no wonder why suicide in America is skyrocketing because this is how people feel. But when we remind ourselves of the gospel truth that He came purposely to die for you, we can remind ourselves that we have purpose. When you feel as though nothing matters and it just isn't worth it anymore, we can remind ourselves of this truth and we can see that He values us and there is worth. No matter whether or not I feel encouraged by my friends, no matter whether or not I see family falling apart around me, no matter what, He values me. And you know what? When we screw up, and we walk in sin, and we fail, and we, we uh, 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 go to uh, bondage and addiction and sin, He still values us. He wants to redeem us and pull us out of that. And when the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, He saved us. We need to be reminded of that. And we need to remind one another. That's one application. I think another one is we must make the gospel of His appearing for us a priority. Note what Paul says. He says, stress this. Or, or he says, make it a constant reminder. In verse 8, he says, the saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist, to stress this, to constantly reminding each other of this. Not the other hundreds of things that we focus on in religion. Not baptism, not communion, not election, not anything else. The gospel should be the priority that we are focusing on because it is the one thing that transforms lives. It's not that those things aren't important, but it's the gospel that is the most important. It should be preeminent in our conversations. And, and so Paul says, in fact, if you don't, look at what happens. He says in verse 9, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about worthless things. Focus on the gospel. Make it your priority. Why? Because when we remind each other, God's people devote themselves to good works. We must use the time that we now have to share the incredible life-changing message that we have received because of His great love. Paul said that he had to proclaim it. Why? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, Christ's love compels me. He understood the gospel. He understood that God's entrance into the world was a declaration of His love. And it changed Paul so radically that he was on his way to Damascus to put to death and to crucify and kill Christians. 
followers of Christ and he encountered the love of God. He understood what God was all about in sending Jesus Christ to die for his sins and his life was radically changed. And we have the amazing nature Everyone who sees the goodness and kindness of Jesus in the Gospels ends up proclaiming Him. Look at the story of Jesus entering. The, the shepherds encounter the angels declaring the goodness and loving kindness of God arriving in the form of a baby. They go and see it, and then what does it say that they do? They go out and proclaim it, worshiping God, shouting and singing and, and sharing with everybody they encounter. You look at countless people who they're healed by Jesus, and Jesus sometimes even says, wait, 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 don't go, go. You know, don't go telling anybody, I don't want to draw attention to this. And what do they do? Immediately, because of the goodness and loving kindness, it changed their life through a physical healing. But more importantly, they saw something different about this man. They began to go out and proclaim Jesus. When they crossed the Sea of Galilee, they encountered this demon-possessed man filled with thousands upon thousands of demons. And Jesus heals him and he removes the demons from him. And that man says, can I come with you? Because I want to share in your ministry. And Jesus says, no, stay here. There are people in this land, the Gentiles, that need you. And it says in that text that he goes out and he proclaims to everyone who would listen to him the truth of Jesus. Zacchaeus, he, he was a, a greedy, uh, self uh, uh, consumed man who cheated people. And Jesus, he encounters Jesus and Jesus changes his life and his heart is transformed that he gives all that he has back to the poor and to those whom he ever cheated. And he goes and, and from that moment on, he's proclaiming Jesus. The disciples encounter Jesus radically transformed and flip the world upside down. Over and over again, people that encounter and see the reality of this truth are transformed. We can't keep it a secret. When we were expecting our first, I was the only one in the world for nine months that knew that she was a girl. I can't wait. I mean, I, growing up, if you wrapped up a Christmas present, I'd open it up, find out what it was, and then wrap it back up. I don't do well at waiting. I had accessories purchased before Christmas for my Christmas presents. Yeah. But when she was born, I was shouting to the rooftop to anybody that would listen to me, we have a new girl. Because it's exciting joy and news. I was... Privileged this week to go into Chase Bank to work on some church account stuff, which was so much fun because I waited for, I think, 45 minutes twice in the bank, which is such a great privilege. But one thing touched me very, very much that was very encouraging. As I was sitting there in this cubicle with this guy, as he's typing on Pondin on the computer, and I, I don't, he could have been playing solitaire for all I knew. But in the cubicle next to me, some old guy, probably in his late 80s, walks in. He starts talking to, the, to the, the banker about some finance question he had. Something with his account was messed up, and they got it fixed. And, and he goes, you know what? I'd be remiss if I left without telling you. Did you know that Jesus died for your sins? And he gave the guy a quick, you know, probably 30-second gospel message. And I was like, you know what? That's the reality. That if this message of God's love has touched our hearts, it's not that we have an obligation to proclaim it. We have a privilege 
and a joy to proclaim it. So this year, when we sit around and, and do our Christmas traditions, I hope and pray that we would remind ourselves of why we celebrate. That when life was filled with darkness and sin and chaos, God in His loving kindness and His goodness appeared. And He saved us. Not because of any works that we did, but according to His mercy, through the renewal and the washing of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, and has claimed us for His adoption as sons and daughters. That's what we ought to be unwrapping this time of year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You. We thank You that amidst the darkness we can turn to You and we can find that Your coming, Your advent, is a declaration of Your passion for Your people. That You chose us even when we were stained with sin because You wanted us, because You love us. We thank You that it declares Your will that while You were coming, You had in mind to intentionally live and suffer and die on a cross for us. To take what we fully deserved. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know that fact, that has not put their hope and their trust in You, that today would be a day that they can unwrap the greatest gift at Christmas that they could ever receive that as Paul declared, this is a saying that is trustworthy. It is one that we can believe, that we can hold on to with faith, that Jesus Christ came, He lived and died for sinners. And He has purchased His people and declared His value for us. His value that He would buy us with His precious blood and He would claim us as sons and daughters. Lord, I pray that we would remind ourselves of this over and over again, that this would be the hard priority of Highland Gospel community, that we would care first and foremost about the gospel and the truth that Jesus came to save sinners. Lord, we thank you. We can never thank you enough for what you have done. And we offer ourselves to you as living sacrifices that you might be seated, enthroned on the praises of our lips. We thank you, Jesus. Amen.